0: And today, we are going down under. We are Skyped in with Warwick Merry. And he is a master MC, and he consults with organizations to make sure that their events are fabulous. Now, I will tell you, when I met him at a conference put on by the National Speakers Association, and he described himself and sort of what he does to make events better in Australia, I thought, oh my gosh, he is just like me in Australia. And so I had to go and kind of rush him and talk to him. And it turns out that we do a lot of the same things in extravagantly different ways. However, I knew I had to have him on the show because I hope that somebody with a fantastic podcast in Australia will have me on the show. So I thought I'll have him on the show and then he'll refer me to all of those podcasters down in Australia, and I'll get to be on an Australian show. Anyway, seriously, I when I met him, I knew he had a really good story of how he transitioned into working for himself his dedication to his clients, and all around just being a very, very cool guy. So Warwick, welcome to Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. Excellent. Thank you so much for having me here. It's like I'm talking to my twin,
1: but with a different accent.
0: That's right. Except you're better looking and more charming than I am. So uh, I got the short look, oh, end. Got I got more the short hair than end. I do. That.
1: So look, we'll just go. It's a 50-50 split.
0: <laughs> so I gave a little bit of a background of what you do. You're a master MC. You work with clients to, to have better conferences. But you can probably describe this a lot better than me. Tell everybody
1: who's listening about what your business is and what makes you fantastic. Okay, so I started off, I wanted to be something a little bit different, so I thought, I'm not just an MC, I'm a master MC, and then someone pointed out to me, so you're a master, master of ceremonies, and I'm like, hmm, didn't think that one through, Um, but what I wanted to express was that not only will I MC your event, but I'll just go that little bit extra. So what I do is I, have, uh, I also run the Exhibiting and Sponsorship Institute. So I have a, a, a deep background in running exhibitions and working with expo companies. And so I work with the organizer of the event to make sure that not only are the delegates happy in the room and not only is the company happy who, or the association who's paying for it all, but also to make sure the sponsors and exhibitors are happy. Uh, too often I find that for an event, people will go, oh, we've got your money. Thanks very much. Have a nice time. So it's all about how do we actually really look after them and also making sure that the entire day or the complete event is looked after. So I do things like I'll dress up in character and be the character, um, I'm not sure if your listeners would know Dame Edna. There is photographic evidence out there uh, of me dressed as Dame Edna, and I ran an entire gala dinner as Dame Edna with a whole, hello, possums, you know, and uh, so that was very interesting. So I do – Elvis is a popular character, and this is not the young Elvis. This is the I've had way too many cheeseburger Elvises. I seem to fit that mould very well. (laughs) Uh, But it is about – I will do what it takes to make sure that my clients have an incredibly successful event this year, but also get people excited about next year's event because I want it to be sustainable for them.
0: Well, and that's so interesting because it's while it's very different, it's very similar to what I do. One of the services I offer to my clients is I will do kind of before the, the trade show kicks off, I'll do a short presentation, like maybe they order beer and pizza for the exhibitors before the whole thing gets going, and I'll go in and do a short presentation on how do you maximize being an exhibitor? Like one of the tips I always give is exhibitors often think, oh, it's the keynote, I'm going to go sleep in, or now is a good time for me to go check email, so they don't go to the keynote. And then when someone comes by their booth, they say, how's the show going for you? Instead of, hey, what did you think of that great speech? Or what did you think of that keynote? Or did you get a copy of his book? Because then you're part of the community as an exhibitor. And it's so funny to me how many times exhibitors will come up to me afterwards and go, I'd never gone to the opening keynote before. (laughs) It changed the whole perspective. And so lots of times, just a little bit of investment in those people who are sponsoring your event can change everything for them and make them have oh. a much more successful
1: show. For sure. Because essentially what you're doing as an exhibitor or a sponsor, it's speed dating. You're not going to be having a um, signing deals on the day. Well, you, in the rare occasion you do, but typically it's speed dating. So you need something common to talk about. And the event that's happening right in front of you is a brilliant one. Um, so, you know, my what I'll say to people is, you know, you want to you engage. So you need to have some kind of pickup line because most people don't want to talk to the sponsors or exhibitors because they're scared that they're going to be sold stuff. And so they, you know, stay in the middle of the aisle and stay away and just have a cup of tea or coffee or whatever. So it is about how do I engage with them there without being threatening to them, without, you know. And so being at the event and talking about the event is a really great thing to do. Yeah, absolutely.
0: So what are some of the other tips you give to those people who are sponsors to make sure they maximize their experience?
1: Get rid of your chair. There is nothing worse than any, someone sitting down behind a table because you're not going to go up to them. It's like when you go into a store and someone's on the phone and talking to their friend about what they're doing on the weekend. You feel ignored. So, get rid of the chair. And and the pushback I get is immense. And it's like, oh, but what if they're tired and they need somewhere to sit? And it's like, okay, what if they're tired but they're not your your direct market or they're not your niche? And they sit there, they're wasting your chair and chewing up your time. So, you're better off not having the chair. Get rid of your phone. Get rid of your laptop. Uh, and unless you're incredibly important, get rid of it. Because because you'll be like, oh no, but when it's quiet, I'll check my emails. And it's like, no, you won't. You'll check it all the time, and people will walk past and you're on your phone. And
0: it drives the me crazy.
1: Of, oh, it drives me sorry. crazy
0: when it drives me nuts when I walk through oh. a trade show and there's an exhibitor chatting away on his phone or looking at Facebook. It's like, hello, hello. Yeah.
1: The number of organisers that that talk to me and say that their exhibitors say that they're not having a good show, and you look at the exhibitors and they're behind the desk, they're on their phone, or they're sitting there with their arms crossed, looking really grumpy, giving this go away vibe, and they're saying, "Oh, there's not enough people here. I'm not getting enough clientele." Well, one of the things—the I- reality is—all you really need is 72 delegates, and you've got a full day. Because That's- let's think about it: you talk to someone for five minutes. That's, you're talking to 12 people an hour, you're really only going to be there six hours, so that's 72 people. So, any more than that is a bonus, you know. So, when people go, oh, we only had 4,000 people through, it's like, and? (laughs) (laughs) So, it's like, how did you, you only really need one or two really good connections and it's paid for
0: itself. Well, one of the things I do for my clients is I sort of secret shop their booths, right? Because I take off the little the thing that says keynote speaker, the, the little banner underneath my name tag, mm-hmm. and I just walk around. And from a glance, you know, I'm just an average, almost 50-year-old guy. You know, nobody can tell if I'm, you know, somebody they should be talking to or not. So I walk through the aisles and mm-hmm. I smile at people. I try to be approachable. And I, I don't mean like a creepy smile. I just look like, you know, I'm interested. And I try to make eye contact. And it's funny to me how few people from behind the booths will engage and sometimes i'll walk around with my cell phone and i'll take pictures of them and i actually had one conference where there was like somebody reading people magazine another guy had his laptop up on his lap and he was typing away somebody else was reading a book and you know it's like one of these things it's like they complain that the show wasn't that great and it's like well what are you doing
1: (laughs) and the reality is the show is less than the third of the work that you need to do to get a good result It's more important, the most important thing is the follow-up, which happens after the show. And the research coming out of the the Center of Exhibiting Industry Research in the States is that 72% of leads gathered at shows are not followed up. Right. So think about the thousands of dollars you've spent to get qualified leads that you never follow up. So one of the first things I tell any exhibitor to do is the two days directly after the show, book it out, you are not available for anything. The temptation is, oh, I've been away and I've got to catch up on email, but it's like nuts. If you want this show to pay for itself, those two days you are on the phone. And it's on the phone. You're not sending emails as people go. It's easy. We'll send a bulk email to everyone. I don't know about <laughs> you, Tom, but when I get that kind of email, I just hit delete. I got to ta- I got to jump and in here. Unsubscribe I- myself from the newsletter. They put me on without my permission.
0: I jumped in. I got to jump in with this. Recently, I went to a show and I was a speaker, but my name was in the database. So I got the bulk email from one of the vendors and it actually said, dear, and then in brackets, insert name and it went on to this whole thing and they tried to make it more personal at the bottom by saying insert name comma it was such a pleasure to meet you at our booth blah 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 blah, blah. it's like i never went by their booth i never met anybody from that company i was just they just data dumped the whole thing it's like does this work
1: yeah and, and the answer is no and delegates are now more and more um Abused by the the exhibitors who do this kind of stuff and they'll send multiple emails. And so they're doing themselves a disservice. So I'm all about do a ton of work up front in terms of marketing the fact that you're there, inviting clients, prospects, um, uh, employees along to have a look at the show and, and let them know where you're going to be. Find out what's going. what else is happening at the show or conference so you can be like a host. You know, that's your job is to be the host, not just at your booth, but the entire show. Um, then have the show, which is the easy bit. And then afterwards, the follow-up. That's where the money is. That's the most important thing. And it's the thing that people don't do. So it's so
0: interesting talking to you because I now do feel even more so that we were separated at birth. But, <laughs> you know, both of us sort of enjoy the role in addition to helping, you know, the client with the trade show and all that. Both of us enjoy the role of being master of ceremonies. But if you talk to a lot of our peers from the National Speakers Association or the National Speakers Association of Australia, what you find is a lot of speakers really don't like being the MC. They They want to give their keynote and their greatest skill is getting to the airport very fast after saying thank you very much. <laughs> And yet I will take that check. Goodbye. (laughs) I like being involved with the whole conference and every piece of it. And I know that you do, too. What do you think it is about us that makes us like being engaged with the whole conference?
1: Well, you and I are social beasts, and and we like other people's company. We like the, the random conversations that you have. And also, I learn so much because I get to host, like I've got an event coming up, the Mold and Remediation Conference, which is all about when mold gets into industrial and residential buildings, how they fix it. And it's the conference that scares me the most because I see some pictures of stuff, and I am terrified of mold now, just learning how bad it is. I've done crane industry councils where we're talking about cranes on the back of trucks. So, you get to learn so much different uh, information, that, that are things that are happening in industry. And like yourself, after talking with the organizers for a while, we start to use their language. And the biggest compliment that I get paid, and in our discussion, you get it as well, you get that comment of, oh, do you work for us? Right. Yeah. Because we are, we, are, we are part of the event. We are part of the team that puts it on. Um, there was one event that I was hosting for a couple of years and then for whatever reason I chose to go with someone else, which I'm cool with. Sometimes you need a shift in energy. And five minutes after the new MC came out on stage, I'm getting messages from the delegates <laughs> saying, where are you? You should be here.
0: I had so the you, same, you become part of the family. I had the same thing happen for locally. I, I, I don't want to say what organization, but a local organization had me MC uh, their big evening dinner for many years. And for the following three years after I stopped, MCing it during the dinner, I would get texts going, why aren't you here? And, you know, the first year it was, they decided, hey, this isn't the Tom show. We have to go a different direction. And I totally get that. But, you know, a lot of people think, oh, well, we have someone, you know, like our master, our, uh, our director of sales, or one of our board members has a gregarious personality. We're going to let them be MC as if there's Mm. no actual skill involved with hosting a meeting. Mm. I think, and, and that's I the think thing. Is and, a, and some yeah. of my
1: speaker buddies as well. They'll get asked, "Oh, you come to speak? Can you emcee this?" And their response is typically, "Yeah, I, I could do that." And then after they've done it, a lot of them will say, "I am never doing that again," <laughs> be, because, like as you and I know, you'll be there for the the three day conference, and you are always on. And even always. in the bar even, later that if night, if someone's you're on, giving yeah. a keynote that goes forty five minutes, and they're rocking the stage and having a great time, which most of them do. You don't have to do anything, but you're ready just in case the AV goes out. The smoke detector alarm goes off. Um, There's uh, a hurricane's heading your way, which doesn't happen too often in Australia. Um, You know, there's been some bizarre things happen. And you've got to be up on stage filling in drop of a hat. Whereas I've seen CEOs go, oh, there's a problem with the AV. Um, um, just talk amongst yourself and you lose the energy and it's just uh, it's it's it damages the conference and the event. And that's what you and I help avoid. Well, and you are right that it is an entirely
0: different skill set. And a lot of speakers think, oh, I can do that. And I get the same thing as people go. You want to do this? Let me recommend you to every client that I have. I have no desire to ever do that
1: again. Because that's the thing. It's such a mixed bag of skill sets because you've got to be the professional who can talk the business language. You've got to be the stand up comedian because, you know, if you've had a very um, uh, energy draining presentation, which a lot are like if you get some of the people who have been through some amazingly tragic incidences, it can really drag the energy down. You've then got to uh, lift the energy up. If you've got someone who's a really big motivator and hypes everyone up, you've got to drag it down again. You've got to be an AV guru because you're on the stage, on scene all the time. So you've got to know how to use an Apple and how to use a Windows-based machine. Like There are so many things you've got to do. Um, and as as I mentioned to you when we were talking recently, I've done a lot of work of late, of improv. So I can then take whatever's going on and turn it into something funny or turn it into something that's engaging. It's not... It's As you said before, it's not the Tom show. It's not the Warwick show. It has to be about the delegates, but we have to facilitate to make it happen.
0: Absolutely. So nobody is actually sort of born a master of ceremonies. I mean, we certainly didn't go to college saying, oh, let's see, I'm either going to major in business, or (laughs) pre-med, or master of ceremonies. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to major in master of ceremonies. So what is it that led you to leaving the corporate world and going into this sort of unique and weirdo business that we're both in?
1: Well, well, I love what the philosopher Kierkegaard said where he said that life has to be lived forward but understood backwards. And so at the time, I had no idea I was preparing myself for this. But when I look back, so I went to – I grew up in rural Australia on a farm and I went to a, a school where I was school captain. So every Monday, I was on stage giving some kind of report for five minutes or so. So that was every Monday for the final year of my school. Um, I gave speeches at all of my friends' 18th birthdays, 21st birthdays. I emceed most of my friends' um, weddings, I did amateur theatre. I had an amateur radio show. Uh, I, I really loved comedy and like to consider myself a funny guy. My wives will say less funny than what I think I am. My wives? Um, As if there's like this long line of like 30. Well, minutes. you know, I've had a couple, hasn't everybody? You know? So, um, and see, that's the kind of thing. You get lines like that, and I know I can just throw them into a conversation, and people go, Did he just say wives? Or was it <laughs> wife? I'm not really sure. And so it gets people, I don't know, paying more attention. It's a bit of fun. So, so I did that. I and then so I was at university and I did I did two degrees because I'm a sucker for study. Uh, I did one in IT and one in accounting, which meant that at parties at universities I didn't get any <laughs> any females coming to chat to me because I'm the IT geek. <laughs> <laughs> the, the IT um, accounting geek. That's double. I know. I know a bit of both. Hey. Uh, that around tax time, people like me, but that's about it. So, I then um, went to work for a, a company called EDS, Electronic Data System, Russ Perel's old company. Hey, based, um, based in based Texas, Dallas, it was, Texas. I was going to say, it was based, nine in, years.
0: based in my neck of the woods, Texas. Uh,
1: indeed. In fact, I spent 12 months in Dallas, Texas, uh, and I was hosting their permanent trade show there in the Information Technology Pavilion down in downtown Dallas, which was um, lots of fun. And Dallas-Fort Worth is a very, very special place. Um, And then, uh, what did I do after that? Oh, then I left them and went to work for Oracle. Now, during this time, I was doing a whole lot of what do I want to be when I grow up kind of um, thought processing and personal development. And my first wife came home from a conference and was talking about this keynote speaker. And I was like, that's it. That's what I've got to be. I want to stand on stage and inspire people, but I have no idea what to talk about. And that was in 1999. I was working in IT. What else would you speak about? But the Y2K. And I had a very limited uh, lifespan because it was like midway through 1999. So I started just doing a few little presentations around Rotary and other service groups just to get skill up. And naturally, I'm a big believer in professional associations. So I joined National Speakers Association of Australia, which is now called Professional Speakers Australia. And I gave a five-minute presentation on um, 1999 and Y2K. And a, a gentleman came up to me and he said, wow, you're really good. I'm looking for someone to come and work in my business as a trainer. How about you come and work for me as a subcontractor and keep your keynote business on the side and go from there? So went down that path and then slowly but surely built the business. Uh, and my wife was working at, uh, at, at, at for General Motors, actually, as the as personal assistant to the managing director. And she wasn't getting along with him, so I said, well, come and you can do the books and play tennis with a girlfriend and see what happens. And she was bored within a week, and so she took on this thing called coaching that we'd come across. And so she did the one-to-one, I did the one-to-many. That worked okay for a while, then the marriage didn't go too well, and so we went our separate ways. And around that time, probably about seven years ago, I really got into the, I've, I've always loved emceeing. It was something that I was, I had a natural gift of the gab and um, I've one of the uh, key speakers in Australia here, he said to me the other day, I love your segues, the way you can segue from one random thing to another and make it feel like it's, well, of course, that's how it's meant to be. <laughs> uh, so, you know, they're just little things that I've done over time. And um, yeah, so for the last, uh, this current evolution of the business, I started in 2005. And um, yeah, it's really the focus has been on the emceeing and with a little bit of the the trade show stuff. It really bundles together. And um, yeah, so it's taken 16 years to be an overnight success.
0: Well, that's the the typical story. So you, <laughs> you've gone from working for EDS and Oracle, big companies, to kind of going out and doing your own thing. So what do you absolutely yeah. love now about the life of doing your own thing, of being an entrepreneur? Oh, the,
1: the flexibility and the freedom is just fantastic in that my wife's a shift worker. So my weekends are sometimes Tuesday Wednesday, uh, and Wednesday, or she'll work a late shift, and so I'll Hang around with her in the morning and then start work when she goes to work at about one in the afternoon and work through late. So I have that flexibility, which is fantastic. And it means I can do stuff like, as, as you know, I came across to the conference recently in uh, Colorado and we spent a month driving. You know, we did, uh, let me speak in miles, 4,000 miles driving across America.
0: Yeah, because if you had and spoken in kilometers, nobody who listens in the United States would have any clue what you were talking
1: about. I understand. And here's a little message for all your listeners. Get with the metric system. <laughs> There's only three countries in the world who don't use it. That's America, <laughs> Libya, and Myanmar, which was Burma. So come on, join the crew. We're, come with us, we're, assimilate. We're, still, we're still hoping you're all going to switch over to our
0: system. Not a chance. Not a chance. Not a chance. So what advice do you have for somebody who wants to go off and do their own thing? They have some sort of an innate gift that they feel more at home doing something. You know, for you it was speaking and and training and being an MC. Somebody else it might be something entirely different. But they want to go pursue
1: their passion, the the, the place where they feel most comfortable. What advice do you have for them? Just start. I think that's the hardest thing. It's that that inertia and we turn to people for advice and what do you think about this? And unfortunately, the first people we turn to are the people who are least likely to support us and that is our family because the, what they want to do is protect us. Families are all about protection. So I know when I left the IT, my parents were like, don't do that. Oh, it's good money in IT and it's secure in IT. And I'm like, it's killing me. (laughs) And as we've learned over the last 16 years, there is no security in IT because jobs have just been hemorrhaged everywhere. EDS doesn't exist anymore. Um, Hewlett-Packard bought it out and has essentially shut that arm of their business right down or outsourced it to different parts of the world. So (laughs) the security wasn't there. So, what I found was I'd I'd go and find out who who are other people who do something similar to what I do. So, you know, if you're into, I don't know, macrameing unicorns using poodle wool, find someone else who's into maybe macrameing. You might not get, you know, the unicorn poodle wool thing. But find someone who's there to go, oh, here's some shortcuts. Here's some stuff that I've done. And go for it. It's going to be hard, but it's worthwhile. Because if it's easy, you're not going to value it. So, it will be hard. So, just start and get some people – who, who can support you. I love Nito Cobain said, who you spend time with is who you become. And I love that concept of, all right, I want to hang around people who will push me and support me when I need it. So I have a mastermind group that I meet with regularly. One of them I speak to every Monday, just talking about what is it that I'm doing this week? How did I go last week? Just to keep me on track. So, you know, I also have a mastermind group, and I I don't think
0: my business would succeed as well as it does without them. So how important do you think it is to align yourself with people, either in the the mastermind situation, kind of in a formal way, or just getting out and networking? How important is that connecting with people?
1: Look, part of it, you've got to look at where is my – target market or where is my niche or who is it that I need to mix with. I'm not a fan of networking for networking stake. Um, for example, there's an organization and you're probably familiar with it, BNI. Um, I went along to a couple of those breakfasts and I thought, you know, this is not for me. My target market's not here. Um, there. For me to access my target market, it wasn't like a lot of the people there really worked with that. But going to my professional association was brilliant and I've, I, can, I can identify hundreds of thousands of dollars of income based on referrals from my professional association because you know, a lot of speakers, they'll go do, do a great job. The organiser will say, you are the best speaker we've ever had. You are fantastic and we love you, so we can't use you for three years because <laughs> we've just had you. And so there is a guy in our local chapter here who refers to me as his mini-me. So once they've had him, he's like, Great. If you want someone just like me but a little bit different who can talk on some other things that are similar, this is the guy for you. Well, I don't know um, if you know
0: Ross Bernstein out of uh, out of out yes, of Minneapolis. A lovely Ross. Ross is fabulous, and in fact, I, I would I would mention him on Twitter or Facebook that we talked about him on this episode. But he doesn't use social media, and still has a thriving, successful speaking career. So when people say, "Oh, you have to be on social media," Ross will you know wave his paychecks at you and say, "No, you don't." But uh, <laughs> but Ross has a theory that every time he exits the stage, and he just crushes it when he speaks. He's fantastic. When Ross exits the stage, he said there are two two evident truths this association will have a conference next year and the second thing is they don't want me as their keynote speaker and so he yep. he taught me to always go to every client and refer to other speakers for next year now mm. what i have found because i have the mc skill sometimes they do want me back because they've had me as a keynoter and they're thinking, "Ooh, next year you could MC. So I don't close the door to that and say, you don't want me next year. What I say is there's two evident truths. You're going to have a conference and you probably don't want the same keynote speaker for next year. And then I make a joke, but if you do, I'm available. And then I give them two names and I might say, hey, you know, it's it's Warwick and it's Bob. And here's why I think now that I've spent time with your group, why I think that they would be great. And I handpick who's going to be great and only people I've seen speak, and I let them know you know, in advance why I think these are the right connections for them, and two things come out of it. A lot of people get hired because of that recommendation. Not every client does, but a lot of them do, and when they do or even if they get considered, I, my stock with that other speaker has gone way up. The yeah. other thing is you're right. We, you, you made the comment they probably don't want you back for two or three years. Once I become their referral source for two or three years of who their next speakers are – Guess what they start doing? Two or three years down the line, I'm top of mind. Yeah, they want sure. to have me back. So it's 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 a little bit in my own self interest to refer other speakers oh, because definitely. if my if my friends do a good job, you know they're going to have me back, and if I refer my friends, a few of them. Not all, because not everybody has what I call follow-through DNA. So even some Mm -hmm. people I've referred to get business can't bring it out of their mouth to refer me. (laughs) And that's totally fine. I don't expect anything in return. But a lot of them do. They turn around and refer me back to their next client.
1: Yeah. And and let let me point something out, and this has probably been one of the absolute keys to my success, is I have a personality trait that's really helped me. Now, some people would think, oh, it's, you're, you're diligent and you you're always follow through and you're disciplined. No, no, no. I'm lazy. And <laughs> the laziness has helped so much because when I was looking at, you know, what topic should I speak on or should I, you know, go this MC thing the whole time, it occurred to me as an MC, if I get a gig… And they, they like what I do. They will have me back. And I've had clients who've had me for many years. I'm, I'm and going I'm back part for second and third now. years.
0: I'm going back for second and third years as the master of ceremony. So, uh, you are right. For sure. It is and, look, and
1: there will come a time when they want a different energy. But, you know, they'll have me time and time again. And, and, again, part of it is they'll come to me and say, right, we're looking for someone who can speak on this or can do this. Who do you know? So, I'm sort of become a bit of a source for them. But it also happens in the rest of my business. It's like, oh, I really don't like investing a ton of time on social media. So what are some of the shortcut things that I can do? Um, I found a new product called Meet Edgar that I'm going to have a look at. Um, I've used the likes of Buffer and whatever, so I can just guess it, do a whole lot. Um, my podcast uh, that I've was that I recorded a whole lot of sessions for, I had a real barrier in that I was too lazy to pick up the phone and book appointments with people. So I said to my admin, can you just book a couple of appointments? We'll see how it goes. And she didn't hear the, we'll see how it goes. And so she booked like 25 appointments all within a couple of weeks. And so I had a couple of weeks of just doing this podcast. So now I've got the majority of the year all recorded and I've gone through and had them all edited and top and tailed and stuff. They're all sitting on the cloud just waiting for me to release. I don't even know what top and tailed means, but I love it. It just sounds so uh, Australian. So top and tailed is, um, so when you press play on the podcast, I've got some funny music in the whole You're listening to the podcast with Warwick Mary and blah, blah, blah. It's the bumper at the the and then the outro in the I'm like, thanks yeah. for listening to the podcast, for further information, get in touch with da, 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 da. Sure. So that's the top and tail.
0: Yep. it's That's not a term that I, I hear in the United States, but we definitely have music at the front and the back of my podcast. so Yeah.
1: And again, because I'm lazy, I like to repurpose things. So, mine I typically rec- record as a video. So, I'll release it as a vodcast as well, and then just strip the audio off and have the podcast. And then, really good episodes, I'll get someone to transcribe and release it as a, either an ebook or a bonus PDF or something. And it's just a way of repurposing. And because essentially I'm lazy and it's a way of extracting more and more value out of of the things that I do. And look, and all all joking aside, not only is it lazy, it's actually smart. It's, it's all about, you know, maximizing the use of your resources.
0: Sure. No, absolutely. Hey, work. I've got a couple of more questions for you before I can let you go. But first I got to thank the sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Podfly productions. Podfly takes the time and the headache out of creating your own podcast. They set you up with the right equipment training and guidance to ensure that you sound amazing. Podfly does all the heavy lifting and the technical work so that you can focus on creating great content, growing your audience, and interviewing way cool people like Warwick Mary. Hey, if you want to start a podcast, jump over to podfly.net slash cool things and see the offer that they have for the listeners of this show. So Warwick, I call this program Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. So what is the coolest thing you're doing in your business right now?
1: Oh, the coolest thing I'm doing in my business. Um, uh, look, I suppose it's not uh, it's not uber cool and, oh, how cool and trendy is that? But I'm really getting into using the professional level of LinkedIn and doing some of the cool searching that you can do to really niche down and target the right people and start. It's almost a, a warm relationship. So I really like doing that. Um, Doing some of the the blabs, um, I'm not sure if you've got into blabs yet, Tom. But doing blabs is a really cool way to connect with people, and again harking back to my laziness, I also then, because you get the recording of it, put that up on the Get More Speaker Success podcast, um, and it's a way of, and and I'm doing it in my position as I'm the incoming president for Professional Speakers Australia, so I thought, what's a cool way to try and connect people and then recycle it so more people get access to it and then put it out on social media saying, here it is again, and cycling through it. So, um, doing, doing a lot of, the technology nowadays to do audio and video is so cheap. So easy. Um, Like I'm after this chat with you, I'm doing another video session, and I've got a green screen here. I've got my studio lights, and I bought them off eBay for like 120 bucks or something. Like it was really quite cheap. But they've set me up so that my products and 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 videos and recordings now look so professional. And it's 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 a really cool and really easy thing to do. And you don't you don't have to spend a whole lot of money. And I've invested the time to get to know how to do it. But then what will happen is over time I'll flick that off to a VA, um, a virtual assistant, to do some stuff. So outsource. a lot of people talk about outsourcing. I outsourced a whole lot of stuff overseas. I brought a whole lot of stuff back. The language barrier was too much, particularly with an Australian accent, doing transcriptions. They could not handle it. Um, so it is about finding the right person for the right job. Sometimes it's overseas. Sometimes it's worth paying the money because sometimes if you don't pay the money, you pay the price in other ways. So there are a couple of the cool things. You know, They're not leading edge, but they're pretty cool. Oh, that, now the other thing that I've got that's sitting here in front of me, sometimes when I speak, I'll sell product at the back of room. In the past, I'd write down um, their, all their details on a bit of paper. But now I've got one of the PayPal uh, credit card wave things. Um, and that's what I found in my very recent trip to, Australia, to America. You guys don't use the pay wave or the wave your credit card over the credit card machine anywhere near as much as what we do in Australia. Um, a lot of the retailers were just trying to get their head around the chip on the credit cards, which we've had for some time. So this groovy little device, it's about the size of a wallet means that I can automatically just get their money from them with a wave of a credit card and it means and then email them a receipt so it just makes it so much easier for taking a lot of orders back of room
0: that that's that's cool. That's fantastic. And you are right. We're still getting used to the chip. You know, you put it in. You have to leave it there. We stare at it. We don't know what's going on. And yet, I was <laughs> I can't in believe
1: how checks are still accepted in in your culture. Like I hate checks. I have I don't have a checkbook. Haven't had one for years, and don't receive checks. It's really quite an interesting thing. It's just. Again, the culture shock between places like Australia and America is so significant because it's the little things that you do different. And I think that's the same with business in that when you're going in to run their events, you've got to be aware of their culture and the little things that they do. And, And it's the little things that are the most important.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. So I love to ask the people who come on this show, because we've talked so much about you and the great things you're doing, but I think that great entrepreneurs, I think they're observers. So I like to ask people, who is it out there that you see who's not related to your business, who you think, wow, they're crushing it?
1: Um, yeah, look, and there are some, some pretty cool people doing some cool things, but, you know, the challenge becomes what you see on Facebook. <laughs> How real is it? Uh, and I'm guilty of that. You know, sometimes I'll put some cool stuff out there. But but some of the stuff, uh, some of the people who I see who do a really good thing, there's a guy in Australia called Dr. Jason Fox, and he has embraced, he has this whole, I had a conversation with him the other day, this whole uh, mantra on, on or branding of being the Gentleman Pirate. And he's got a big red beard, and when he presents, he's, you know, wears his big coat, and he, he's, he's not a pirate, but he just has this, he runs his business as the Gentleman Pirate. So, he's a little bit edgy, um, and he's just released a, a new book, which is really funky, and his wife does all of his graphic design, and she is a stunning artist, and does all his, his background slides and everything, and... uh they have just signed a, uh, a petition. There's a group of five guys in Australia leading the way of no more men-only panels or no more manals uh, for conferences. And so they've signed a pledge to they, if there's only men on the panel, they refuse to be on it because it really is forcing organizers to look beyond the norm. Um, so so that's, that's a very edgy thing that, that, that he's doing. Craig Rispin is another guy. He's a futurist here in Australia, American guy who lives in, the, in Australia. And, man, some of the stuff that he comes up with is just phenomenal. And um, he was talking about one of his clients who um, – he was presenting about how certain clients are getting like Xbox 360s and networking them all together because they're actually a very powerful computer and turning them into – but very cheap because the, the, the companies make their money on the games, not the units – and so one of his banking clients came up to him and said, so that millions of dollars I've just spent on a massive array of computers, I could have spent hundreds of thousands just by buying those those games. And he said, yep, yeah, you could have done that. So there's some very interesting perspective stuff that, that he has. So I have a, a lot of admiration and respect for, for what Craig Rispin does.
0: That's excellent. Well, the last question I love to ask everybody who comes on this show is, what is it that you do to give back to the greater good? Because in addition to being great observers – I think that true entrepreneurs want to do more than make money. They, they want to leave their mark. So, so what do you do?
1: Uh, look, like many people, you know, I'll give money to organizations or whatever. But uh, my theory is that's not where I can do the most good. Uh, where I can do the most good is giving of myself and my services. So I host quite a few charity events. And um, in particular, Rotary. I have a soft spot for Rotary, and in our area, they have a, a leadership forum that they run, uh, where it's a very they have these very senior business people come together, give of themselves, and usually there's about twenty people that they'll train up, and so I'll host their their graduation dinner and give them some different messages there. I do a lot of work with Professional Speakers Australia. They're my tribe, and it's an absolute pleasure to give. And and again, you know, the, I've always found that the, the more I seem to give, the more I seem to receive. And so I'm not giving with the expectation of receiving, but it just naturally happens. Um, but there's a couple of other charities that I, I donate my time for and host their their gala dinners and use my connections to help them get things for their charity events and the charity raffles, et cetera. So that's some of the stuff, some of the stuff that I do. And Basically, I really like the fact that I can just go out into the wider world and just be a happy, fun person. There's too many people who look at the negative side of things. I love shopping and seeing name tags that the shop assistants have forgotten that they're wearing and just going, oh, Jenny, hi, how are you? Or Fred, what's going on? And they give you this look of shock and surprise. But what it means is that I now get remembered. My mum was down, she lives interstate, and we went into the shoe shop that she always buys her shoes from when she's down here. And I walked in. And the shop assistant waved at me because she remembers me coming in and just cracking lots of jokes and having a whole lot of fun while Mum's trying on shoes. So sometimes (laughs) just being a happy, fun, pleasant person is, is, I find, it it makes me happy and it seems to sort of spread the love.
0: Well, and you and I attended a conference together for the National Speakers Association and you certainly did put a spark into life for everybody you encountered. So I I think that's a good thing
1: that you do is you spread sunshine where you go. Thank you. It's the surname. It does it every time. Ah, I've got a surname, right. Mary. How can I not be merry and, and spread the merriment? That's right. Well, Mer- Merry Christmas
0: and then have a merry day. And Warwick, <laughs> Mary, thank you so much for being a guest on Cool Things Entrepreneurs Do. You're, you're a master, master of ceremonies, and you are the leader of that niche in Australia. And, and my dream is that someday I will be known as like the work Mary of the United States because you know, <laughs> I will be the master of masters of ceremonies. Uh, and I'll, I'll plant the seed with you. One of my goals is to be paid to speak in Australia. I, I have been brought to five different countries, but Australia is one where I dream of getting to go and, and giving a, a keynote someday. So, uh, Maybe. I'll keep my
1: eye out and look and see what I can do for there you. There
0: you go. That's absolutely fantastic. So, thank you so much for coming on the show. For those, of you, for those of you who are listening, you got to go and check out Warwick Merry.
1: Mar- Warwick, where do they find you? So, there's a couple of places you can go to warwickmerry.com. That's W A R W I C K, or as my American friends say, Warwick Warwick Merry, as in Merry Christmas.com, um, or Getmoresuccess.com, uh, where we have the podcast and some resources and other things.
0: And that is true, because before we started the show, he did correct me that it is Warwick, not Warwick. But, uh, you know, I am broadcasting straight from the dead center heart of Texas. So to me, it's Warwick. You Aussies talk funny. Yes, we do. So anyway, thank you again for being on the show. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Go look up Warwick. You're going to find really good stuff of everything that he is doing. And uh, we're going to be back in a couple of days with an interview with somebody just as cool as Warwick. But in the meantime, jump over to the Facebook page, follow us, leave a comment, send a tweet, join the Cool Things Project by going to TomSinger.com, pulling down the About menu and finding the the link to the group coaching program and joining us for that if you're interested in that. Or just go over to iTunes and leave a review and say, I really love the show, if you actually really love the show. But come back in a couple days and hear our next episode. But now go on out there and have a great day.